how you doing with this COVID-19 quarantine? Still stressing over it all? Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Jesus says that when we're consumed with the cares of this world, what are we doing? We're mimicking the world. Because the world lives in a constant frenzy of activity to get more and more. This should not be the believer's focus. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome to our time together today. Join us, won't you? We're taking a look at anxiety and how to deal with it. Perfect timing, if you ask me, in light of the quarantine we all find ourselves in. You going stir crazy yet? We've got some answers for you that should really encourage you. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, as we learn how to deal with anxiety. Here's Pastor Steve. Well, the last point here under this heading is the fourth thing. We should not be anxious because we should trust in God who cares for us more than he does the flowers of the field. He goes from birds to flowers. Here specifically, it says lilies. It's probably just a general reference to all kinds of wildflowers. Consider the, the beauty and the, the delicacy of a wildflower. I remember when we lived down in the desert, down in Indio, California, the desert area of Southern California out near Palm Springs. In the springtime especially, you'd be out hiking or walking through the desert. And the, Deber, Deb, the desert usually is pretty drab. But once in a while, you would see a flower pop up out of nowhere. And it would just stand out because everything else was so drab. And this beautiful colored flower would just be so vibrant in the midst of the desert. It was spectacular. Well, that's what he says here. Not even Solomon in all of his glory could match the beauty of a single wild flower. So if God clothes the insignificant grass of the field with these beautiful wildflowers, a grass that would soon be bundled up when it was dead and used as fuel in a furnace, then shouldn't we trust him to provide the clothing we need? See, that's what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus re rebukes him here. He says, oh, men of little faith. What is that? He hits right to the heart of worry. Our little faith in God. See, it's, it's safe to say that all worry stems from our lack of faith in God. When we worry, we are doubting that God truly cares for us. Keep in mind that Jesus here was addressing the disciples. He was talking about believers. And yet believers who have trusted God with their eternal destiny can easily, easily fall into a state of unbelief when it comes to the immediate problems that they face. Especially when it comes to basic provisions like bread and milk and, yes, even toilet paper. <laughs> We all need to keep in mind Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God did the greatest thing in saving us, he gave his only son to die on a cross and he secured our salvation for all of eternity. Can't we muster up the faith to trust him to take care of 
comparatively lesser matters on our behalf? See, the worst thing about anxiety and worry is not that it makes us miserable, although it does. The worst thing about anxiety and worry is that it dishonors our loving Heavenly Father. It dishonors Him. I mean, suppose I ran into your kids one day, and I saw on their faces signs of fear, literal terror. And when I asked them, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? They responded this way, well, we're not sure whether our dad is going to feed us or not tonight. I mean, what would that say about that father's love for his children? I mean, I'd probably turn them in for child abuse. And yet, so many of the Lord's children live as if their father in heaven either isn't concerned or he isn't able to take care of their needs. I'm reminded of an illustration of a little girl on a commercial flight. She was rather young. She was sitting on an aisle seat about halfway, a couple rows back. And uh, when the flight was past the midpoint, it encountered a pretty bad thunder and lightning storm. And because they were just, you know, 45 minutes to an hour out from landing at their destination, uh, they had to go through this storm. And one passenger was sitting across and behind the little girl. And she was sitting on the aisle, and he was sitting kind of behind her on the aisle. Uh, on the other side of the plane so he could see her from the side. And she was reading her book, and, 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 and the lightning's going off outside, and the, began, the plane begins to roll back and forth, and they're noticing and experiencing drastic changes in altitude. We've all been there. We've all experienced that, more than likely. And most of the passengers during that time were gripping their, their armrests. They were tightening their seat belts. But this little girl, the man noticed, just sat there reading her book, almost unaware of what was going on around her in the plane. And, and this intrigued this passenger so much after the plane eventually experienced a bumpy but safe landing, he couldn't help but scoot up there pretty quick after he got his bag out of the overhead. And he tapped her on the shoulder And he simply asked the little girl, why were you so calm during that rough flight? It was a very unnerving experience for everyone. And you were just sitting there reading your book. Why were you so calm? And she simply responded this way. She says, oh, my dad's the pilot. And he's just, he's taking me home. Wow. Sometimes we forget in the middle of life's trials, in the middle of life's tribulations, in the middle of a pandemic virus that's taken over the world, we forget that the pilot is our Heavenly Father. And you know what? He's just simply taking us home. So Jesus' first point is that to solve our anxiety biblically, to solve our worry, worried heart biblically, We must trust in the God who cares for us. He brings up a second point in verses 29 to 34 of chapter 12 of Luke. 
To solve our anxiety, we must seek for God's kingdom above our own needs. We must seek for God's kingdom above our own needs. This section here falls into two parts. First of all, Jesus tells us what we should not seek in verses 29 and 30. Then he tells us what we should seek in verses 31 and 34. So let's, let's look at the first point here. We should stop worrying about our basic needs because to worry or be anxious is to mimic the world. And God knows that we need these things. When Jesus says not to seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, as I said before, he doesn't mean that we're not to expend energy and effort and have a means of a life working for a living but what he's saying really is don't be all consumed with these things. Don't make these things the main aim of your life. He's talking really here about where your primary focus should be. He commands us, do not keep worrying. Now this is a different verse, a different uh, word from verse 22, the word anxiousness before. The word here means to be lifted up. And so some take that to mean Don't be arrogant. Don't be haughty in the sense that, oh, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. But really, in the earliest versions of the New Testament, the context argue for the meaning, don't be lifted up or tossed about like a ship on the water. In other words, don't be unsettled. Don't be insecure. Stop the anxiousness. Stop worrying about these things. Why? Because God will take care of you. Jesus says that when we're consumed with the cares of this world, what are we doing? We're mimicking the world. Because the world lives in a constant frenzy of activity to get more and more. This should not be the believer's focus. I read recently an illustration that really describes the world's ways of seeking after more and more. It was a story of a American businessman who traveled to a small Mexican village, a coastal village. And while he was standing out having his coffee on the pier one day, he looked down in this small boat with just one fisherman in it, was pulling into the dock. And he tied up the boat and he was watching the man unload his fish. And inside the boat were several large yellowfin tuna. If you know anything about yellowfin tuna, they they can be pretty expensive. (laughs) They can be worth quite a bit. Well, the American complimented the the Mexican fisherman on the quality of his fish. And he asked him simply, how long did it take you to catch those three or four fish? And the Mexican fisherman replied, well, only a little while. And the American then asked, well, why didn't you stay out there longer and catch more fish? (laughs) The Mexican fisherman said that he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. He didn't need any more fish. And the American then asked, well, what do you do with the, the rest of your time? If you're just out there for a short while and you bring back these fish and that's all you're going to do, what do you do with the rest of your time? And the Mexican fisherman said, well, I sleep late and I fish a little and play with my children and take a siesta with my wife, Maria. And then we stroll into the village each evening where I sip some wine and play my guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life, senor. Well, the American scoffed. He says, look, (laughs) I am a Harvard graduate. I have an MBA from Harvard. And you know what? I'm here to help. 
You could spend more time fishing and with the proceeds of your fishing, buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds of that bigger boat, you could buy several boats. And eventually you could have a fleet of fishing boats with a myriad of employees. And instead of selling your catch to the middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. And you would control the product processing and distribution. Now, you would have to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to somewhere like Mexico City and then possibly maybe on to Los Angeles and maybe eventually to New York City. And from there, you could run your expanding enterprise. And the Mexican fisherman asked, but, senor, uh, how long will all this take? (laughs) And the American replied, well, you you could maybe do it if you're very aggressive in 10, 15, 20 years. And the fisherman asked, but what then, senor? And the American laughed and said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce a stock offer and you would sell your company's stock to the public and you would become very, very rich. You would make millions, possibly billions of dollars. Millions, senor? Then what? And the American said, well, he replied to the fisherman. He said, well, then you, then you could retire and you could move to a small coastal village where you could sleep late. Fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. See, Jesus tells us, don't seek for the same things the nations eagerly seek. There should be a distinct difference between us and the world regarding our pursuit of material gain. While hard work is a Christian virtue, make no mistake about it, anxiety about life is not. To get caught up with the world's attitudes is to forget that we have a heavenly Father who knows that we need all these things. So you ask, that's what we shouldn't seek, but what should we seek? Well, that's the second point here in closing. We should seek God's kingdom. And he will take care of our basic needs. He says so much in verses 34, 31 to 34. He gives us a command. He gives us assurance. He gives us application. And he gives us an explanation. Let's look first at the command. Verse 31. Seek God's kingdom, he says. In the Sermon on the, on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus expressed it this way. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Well, what does it mean in practical terms to seek God's kingdom? Does that mean that everyone has to become a missionary to some foreign country and live in the jungle? Or go become a full-time Christian worker somewhere? Obviously, it doesn't mean that. See, God's kingdom is where he rules. To seek God's kingdom means to put things first as Lord of everything in our lives. And to aim each day at furthering his rule over us. And over others. The day is soon coming when Jesus will return. And he will rule the nations with a, the Bible says, a rod of iron. But see, until then, until that happens, we are to live under his lordship in every area of our lives. And we are to seek to further his rightful rule over others as they come to faith in Christ and then live under his lordship as well. See, God is not just to be a a slice of life on Sundays or 
whenever we find him useful, wherever we find him fitting into our agenda. Rather, he is to be the center of all we think, all we say, and do every day. He is to be the Lord over every facet of our lives. We live as his servants, as stewards of what he's entrusted to us, seeking to glorify him. See, that's what it means to seek his kingdom. But secondly, he gives us assurance here in verses 31 and 32. The Father will provide for all our needs if we focus on his kingdom. He says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Well, what's those things, these things refer to? It refers to what the nations seek. What do they seek? Namely, food, clothing, material needs. Now, the thought of not seeking after these things, but rather seeking God's kingdom, causes some anxiety, even among God's people. Thus, Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That term little flock, it sounds like a pretty vulnerable group in the midst of a a doggy dog world. But Jesus wants us to feel assured that none other than a loving heavenly father is watching over us if we are committed to seek his kingdom. Now, the full measure of God's kingdom and his blessings awaits us in the future But even in the difficulties of this evil world, we can trust that the Father's abundant mercies are on us because of his gracious choice of us. Well, thirdly, look at the application here with me in verse 33. The application is this, give generously and you will have lasting treasure in heaven. He says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, Jesus isn't telling us here that you have to sell everything, give away the proceeds. He's not telling us that. The Bible implies the right to private ownership of property. It implies it in the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Well, you couldn't steal something from someone if it wasn't theirs. So we have a right to private property. Remember, Peter told Ananias, that his property was his to do with as he saw fit in Acts chapter 5. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? See, Ananias' sin was not in holding back some of the proceeds. That wasn't the sin. The sin was lying about giving all when he had not done so. See, if Jesus meant that his followers must sell all of their possessions, surely he would have rebuked those who owned homes, lands, etc., but he didn't do it. Rather, Jesus here is saying, have a loose grip on these things of the world. They're not going to last anyway. Instead, be generous in giving to those in need, and God will reward you with lasting riches in heaven. See, the contrast is between storing up temporary treasure for yourself on earth, in verse 21, instead of laying up treasures in heaven that will last for all eternity. It's very easy. If you struggle with greed... If you struggle with living for this life only, give away your stuff. (laughs) Just give it away. Because giving generously frees us from greed, and it puts our focus rightfully on God and on eternity. Well, the last point here in our message is verse 34. Really, he gives an explanation of the whole point. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Usually we get this backwards. 
We think that we will put our treasure where our hearts are. But Jesus says that if we put our treasure somewhere, our hearts will be there also. Store your treasure in heaven by giving generously to the Lord's kingdom, and your heart will be drawn to heaven. You know, as we are not meeting for potentially several weeks, uh, we had to come up with a way for you to be able to give of your tithes and offerings. And so, you know, you can give online. uh, You can give through the app. You can mail your check in. Because, you know, just because we're not having church, it doesn't mean that we don't have expenses here. And so we need to make sure that we have that platform in place for you to be able to continue to support God's work here and around the world through the missionaries we support. With a conclusion here, as we continue to have to deal with this virus and the national and and world crisis that it's causing, I want us to remember a couple things. First of all, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. All this around us is temporary. I mean, it's enjoyable to have things and enjoy them, but it's temporary. One day you'll leave it behind. Secondly, even though we can't gather together in the same place for worship as we do physically, together as the body of Christ, that does not change our commitment to worship God. Uh, The church isn't about a building. The church is about the Spirit of Christ dwelling in individuals and spiritually coming together to worship Him in spirit and truth. And then secondly, I would say count your blessings. Take this time to count your blessings. Count the blessings of being able to stay at home with your kids. What a wonderful thing it is. Now, some of you are kind of snickering going, yeah, right, but it's true. Um, You know, we live in such a fast-paced society. You know, it's like, wow, things were just getting out of hand. Everybody's in a rat race running here and there and everything. And God just says, you know, I'm just going to stop everything for a couple weeks. Just put a hold on everything. Let my creation focus on really what's important. Count your blessings. There should be an ever-growing yearning in your heart to want to desire to come back together as the body of Christ. And I think sometimes we don't know what we have until we lose it. And we've probably taken for granted the ability to come out on a Sunday and gather together with other believers and worship God freely here in this country. Well, it took a virus to stop that. This is probably unprecedented. But you know what? God has a purpose in it. God has a plan. Count your blessings. And then, fourthly, stay vigilant in prayer. Pray for the following things. Pray for an answer to this virus. Pray that somehow God would give some man or some woman in the scientific or medical field the answer that they would be able to create a vaccine in record time or come up with an antidote to this virus. Pray for our president and vice president and their teams. Pray that God would protect them, that God would give them wisdom as they balance all the problems that they're facing. Pray for our church. Pray for our community. Pray for our first responders. Pray for our local police. Pray for our local fire departments. Pray for those in the medical field who are on the really the front lines of this issue, dealing with people who have the virus. And pray for our missionaries and their families. You know, God has a purpose. He has a plan for this. This didn't catch him by surprise. It's caught a lot of people by surprise, but it didn't catch him by surprise. And I pray that as a church, that we would continue to seek his will, his desire for us first personally, for our families, for our church, for our community, and that we would look for ways to serve those around us, to look for ways to show people the love 
the compassion of Christ. Even when we follow Jesus faithfully, unexpected storms will always be around. But we do serve the author and finisher of our faith and all that we know and see that is tangibly in front of us, the God of this universe. We are out of time today. We'll close out our program here and remind you that, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us either through our website or by simply giving us a call here at Graceful Truth. The easiest way to get in touch with us would, of course, be through our website, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. Always reach out to us by phone, if you wish, at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also download our app. Simply Google Grace Bible Church Redwood City or Follow the link off of our website, gracefultruth.org. As these are uncertain times, and we find ourselves wondering just what kind of freedoms to expect, tomorrow we would invite you to visit our website, gracefultruth.org. It's there that you'll be able to learn about the updates when we will get together as a congregation here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City and what we'll be doing in the meantime. Again, you'll find that information at gracefultruth.org or gracebibleonline.org. Either one of those websites will provide you with the added resources to continue to feed your soul during these challenging times. And in the meantime, would you continue to pray, not only for us, but other churches here in the Bay Area, and pray that we would find ourselves in every opportunity giving an answer for the hope that lies within us in these seemingly hopeless times. Thank you again for spending time with us here on Graceful Truth. And until next week, God bless.